Welcome to Old School, everybody. I'm Ben Glebe, and we have quite the lineup for you tonight to talk about everything and probably nothing at the same time. Joining me in studio, just a couple of feet from me, is TYT mainstay and OG Michael Shore, everybody. Yep. No, I used to just be a G. Oh, yeah, Michael Shore. You seem like a G to me. Yeah, I've never. Been a G. But you seem like a G. I'll take the O. Yeah, do I seem you like seem a G? You seem like a G. I mean, we're not defining what the letter stands for. And right. joining us. Gout sufferer. <laughs> and joining us from a bunker somewhere in Connecticut is David Schuster. What's up, brother? You know, I am. I, I, oh, probably your piece would be helpful. Yeah, Can't hear a word you're saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same shoe. Uh, I, you know, oh, this, it's better. Don't say anything. It's better David. to not hear me. If you cannot uh, hear me, it's actually We're going to both do this simultaneously. This is great. This is, this is what's this old is great. school. Do I need to when we first started this, we didn't have earpieces. So <laughs> I don't know why we can't just have you in the room personally. Yeah. You should be coming uh, into my wow. ear soon. So, I'm sure uh, what you said was great. Really wonderful things I just said about you, you couldn't hear. But now, that's okay. Now I hear now you, you and I would love I if you'd say it again. Ben, I was telling Michael yeah. about that time when you were running around without your clothes. Oh, and your audio's gone again. What? Yeah, we lost your audio again right when you started saying that. It's so weird. Can you hear me now? Yeah, no, we got you. So, Shu, I see <laughs> the big blue uh, thing there. What? Tell me what happened with Shem Beckler. Uh, yeah, yeah, the team, the team, the team. But the other Shem Beckler. Wasn't there another Shem Beckler? Oh, yeah, 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 the young Shem Beckler. Well, a funny thing happened to him between yeah. the time that he was Bo's like, little kid son and then the time that he sort of grew up. And I think Bo's death had a horrible impact on him. And he started to sort of go off the deep end. And that sort of metamorphosed into him having some pretty bizarre political views. And unfortunately, the uh, I think because he was a legacy at Michigan, uh, the you know the, the athletic department said, oh yeah, let's give you know Shemmy Shambackler a job. He's been an NFL scout. Of course, we'll bring him back to Michigan without really sort of checking his social media feed. And then once they did, uh, they found out that he had like some pretty crazy right wing lunatic stuff. So they had to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, and but you know credit to Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh said that's on me. Uh, we should have checked. We didn't, and that's on me. So I give no credit, credit to Jim Harbaugh as a 49ers fan. But it's all it's all you. You can enjoy. Yeah. It. The thing that breaks my heart is I mean look what he the the comments that he liked were disgusting. Yeah. But it's like the Schembechler name is like the holy grail of right. Michigan sports. I mean he's he's royalty, and the idea that he would turn out to be such a doofus. Right. Uh, I actually met Bo Schembechler um, once upon a time, and I was so thrilled because, you know, back in the day, there weren't that many sort of Michigan alums who were sort of kind of connected to the athletic department who were sort of in media or whatnot. Um, and a buddy of mine had written Bo's biography and sort of introduced us. And Bo's like, oh, yeah, I know you, Schuster at MSNBC. Go, you know, Michigan, we're proud of you at Michigan. I was like, oh my God, even if my friend had just sort of set this stuff to him and he didn't know anything about me before we met, but it was still, it was still very cool. But anyway, Bo is such a legacy, and the idea that his son would uh, would turn out this way is just uh, it, disheartening. It, and look, yeah. look, I don't know what you're talking about in the least, <laughs> but I do know that the name Shem Beckler couldn't be a great thing. It doesn't sound like a great situation. <laughs> well, it was Concerned. once upon a time. New Sh Sh Shem Beckler Jr. doesn't sit well. Right? Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. You know what else doesn't sit well for me? is just the very nature of everything lately. I don't know how you guys uh, feel about it, yeah. but I don't understand. bring us in with a smile. Though. You're darn right, we're, we're, we're diving. I just don't understand what's happening. I just, I just feel like we live in the alternate 1985 from Back to the Future too. Like I don't know, and we really do, I mean, because that character of Biff was patented after Trump. I just don't know how we make sense of the world anymore when we live in a world where I don't know, for random example, the former president is 
receives 37 counts of federal indictment for under the Espionage Act and then tweets, what William Barr is saying that I'm toast, he doesn't know what he's saying, it's not true. And people believe that what my man is saying, who used to work for the man is not true. We live in a world where AI makes reality in general even less understandable than this. I don't know, do you feel at all like I do, like like you're losing grip on reality in any way to make sense of what the future might hold? Chew, you take this one and then I'll respond. Well, I mean, I think that, that I don't think that I feel like, I feel that it's difficult to reckon with the notion that nothing matters. And, and you know, when you see the, the poll numbers go up for this guy after he's indicted within his own party, let's, let's be clear. And you see all of the reporting and everything that is known about him and has been now for quite a while. I've been going back to 2015 before he was elected president. It, there's been an era of nothing mattering, and it, cat, it carried into the pandemic. You know whether you agreed with masks or not. Uh, this sort of idea that you had to take a side during a pandemic meant to me that nothing mattered. So I think it's more of that than feeling like we're at the end of time. Uh, it's just how to reckon with that has been complicated. It's also you know raising a kid, which I'm doing. Well, maybe I'm just about done doing. Um, and and you know, Shu, I know he's got. Do the aging out, or are you just giving up? I'm giving up. I'm so yeah, I'm, I'm done. Got uh, it. And and it's uh, and so I, you sort of want that. You, there's a nostalgia from for maybe a, a way we never were, but it certainly seemed better than where we are. And and that's that to me is sort of how I view this. Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's the the end of times. Well, are you saying that with that Michael Schur gravitas made it feel very like Cronkite esque. It sounded extra. Intense it uh, for a time that maybe never was. That was very <laughs> deep. Well, you know, speaking of kids, one of the things that I try to um, teach our kids and and sort of my wife and I also try to do is to sort of be present in the really like happy, joyful moments because there is so much that's out there that is confusing, that may be fake, that you know reality is you know upside down sometimes for a lot of people. Um, and by the way, the reason my camera keeps looking like it's got this sort of hole in it and the yeah. shadows is because the screen on my computer is kind of bent, and so when I push it back in place, it pops back in. And then it will slowly start, but anyway, that's what it was pretty incredible that as you said, <laughs> as you said, just kind of being present for the moment. <laughs> yeah, he actually all of a sudden you went Looney Tunes on the present. But, but what I mean is, what I mean is like, for example, a couple, you know, last, the end of last week, I was, I was feeling a little bit sort of down. And then Judith Ben Ezra texts me and says, hey, you know what, you want to do old school with Michael Shore and Ben Glebe. And I was like, oh my God, of course. And it's like one of those sort of moments where like, oh, the things that sort of make you happy. And that you're really like thrilled about, and it's almost like you know when karma strikes, you have to sort of be present and say, yeah, I'm gonna really enjoy this. Um, and so it's the same thing with you know when the kids have a really nice birthday party, or they go to a you know friend's house, or they have you know field day, and everybody gets a participation medal or whatever, and everybody's happy. It's like those sort of moments of just sort of pure joy. I'm trying more and more to just sort of be present for, not so much focused on, okay, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I can't believe that, you know, people would actually believe there's any similarity between Donald Trump's handling of classified documents and Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and Mike Pence. I mean, it's just, you know, and again, this isn't like really complicated stuff we're talking about with Trump. Um, but it's become even more difficult for even sort of, you know, mainstream Republicans, it seems to really sort of grasp. 
and understand that no, there are clear distinctions that are pretty simple between these cases, but they don't seem willing to want to go there. And they want to continue to tell their audience that there is no distinction. And I, you know, it's troubling, but again, the, the opportunity to be able to talk about tough stuff with, you know, friends and people like you guys, I mean, that's, you know, that's great. David, that was very, very sweet of you. I feel like your perspective is tainted by the isolationism you are experiencing being in a bunker in Connecticut. Because when I was asked to do old school with you guys, I was I, I was pleased, but it wasn't the highlight of my month like it seems like it was for you. I'm glad <laughs> I, I could bring what, that to what you. What I though. did is I checked the Stanley Cup schedule to make sure there wasn't a game <laughs> okay. tonight. Uh, and well, and you guys try living in Connecticut and then tell me what the highlight of your month is. So. <laughs> fair, fair is fair. David, a resident of Connecticut, the nickname you're known as a Nutmeg. That nutmegger. Yeah, you're is a that nutmegger. right? Nutmegger. Yep, you're a right. nutmegger. Yeah. Yep. That's the name of Connecticut people. Yep, he's a nutmeggers. Ding, ding, ding. David Schuster. I would move Never out on that alone. Indiana, and I have to say, I have to confess. So I watch the the Indianapolis 500 every year, only for the pre like race festivities. And when right. Jim Neighbors used to sing back home again in Indiana, it brings right. a tear to everybody's eye. Of course, he's dead, and now they have some other dude who sings. <laughs> but still, there's such like there's such like civic pride and pride in like the state of Indiana and sort of as it's you know the the people there and the community and and some of its sports teams and college teams and music and there's just some sort of civic. I don't know. Maybe it's because Indiana is a relatively new state compared to Connecticut. Connecticut people just seem like dour. It's sort of just like eh. So what? Right. You know, there's not the same. It's not the same vibe, and I don't know whether that's an East Coast thing. And Shu, because you grew up in New York, maybe you got some more insights into it's that. Not. But I just, mean, it's a, it's more something of, about the Midwest where there's yeah. a where there's a community sort of spirit that doesn't well, just exist quickly, in a place like Connecticut. Quickly before short chimes, and I just have to say I love very much the sentence, the pure innocence of Jim Neighbors, who of course is dead now. Right, <laughs> never more innocent. Surprise, than surprise, than surprise. He is now. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Connecticut is, when you grow up in New York, you, you know, there's that famous Saul Steinberg poster of New York and then, you, you know, everything else, like it goes New Jersey, the yeah. West, you know, California. So you kind of have blinders on to the rest of the world, not because you want to, just because everything seems so New York centric. So it's not a surprise, you know, to a someone who grew up in New York City that Connecticut, a rather dull place. And you didn't grow up in New York City and you've even, you know, agreed that it's somewhat dull, but it's yeah. definitely a nice state and good people and stuff. They don't have the teams, they don't have gym neighbors, they don't have a race. Uh, they had, you know, they had the Hartford Whalers for a minute. Um, but Once you discount the importance of personality or things to do, <laughs> right. it's a lovely place. Well, you place. also have to then discount Yale. Uh, so there, there yeah, are I'm other fine things. with that. I'm they're, fine with discount. I, right. I spent a weekend in Yale once, and granted, the eating clubs were kind of cool, but other than that, it was a pretty dry situation. Yeah. The brick buildings were, was the vibe, it was everything. Yeah. Uh, it's it, right, and uh, my dad was from New Haven, so he he's oh. uh, someone who could you know would agree. Uh, were he here, it was not. called Old Haven. He's at a Jim Neighbors concert. And oh wow! Uh, nice. But but uh, but, Rest in but peace. he would like that. So thank you. Um, but but honestly, it, it's so that's I think that's what I think's going on there, Shu. And and you know the Indianapolis 500. Also, you take that out, and I I know the Midwest, and I know you're a proud Hoosier, but. Everybody's eyes are on Indiana then and for that day only, and then they kind of pull sure. away, right? I mean, yeah, so I mean, what is Indianapolis without, what is the state of Indiana without alcohol? 
without the race and alcohol. <laughs> what is left? I mean, every, every time I've been there, the only activity is do you want to come over to my place and get drunk or do we go to your place and get well, drunk? But in Indiana, you've got things like there's a certain there's traditions in Indiana, whether it's you know basketball or whether it's you know this wonderful state song or the fact that everybody on a Friday night goes to the high school basketball gym, which has more seats than the town does. I mean, there's there's just some sort of pride and sort of community no, no, there I, that yeah, doesn't for sure. that I don't feel out here. And and look, I Connecticut's wonderful. My kids love growing up here. And my wife and I are, you know, we're okay. But it, and it's you know, it's an idyllic kind of sweet kind of life, but there's just it feels like there's something missing. I'm blown know. away that, back you, to the, that you get joy from a state song. I find that to be. That's right. But that's but here's the thing is now thanks to, to bring it back home to sort of alternate reality. I can now through like chat GBT and through all these all the you know, I can now have any pop star in the world literally sing back home again in Indiana in their own voice. And artificial intelligence will marry the two and make it sound pretty good. And so did Britney Spears ever sing back home again in Indiana? Well, maybe she did for me through you know, artificial intelligence. In and the Schuster home in Connecticut, she did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get to that weird thing of, well, what is real and what's not? I mean, and now we start to live on our own, the reality we want to live in. I only want to hear, you know, back home again in Indiana from great pop stars. Did they ever actually record that song? No, but now I have that opportunity. And maybe, Ben, that gets to sort of your point, and I'm sort of curious to hear. I mean, how do you deal with the fact that so many people now, thanks to AI and, and everything else, they can literally live their entire life in their own sort of bubble that they create? Yeah, I don't think it's a positive, even though you're very excited to have you know Britney Spears sing about Indiana, which by the way, if you ever need an AI detector, if anyone famous <laughs> who's not from Indiana is singing about Indiana, it's a fake. That's how you know right off the bat. But you know, and also, I don't, side note, I don't know what the state song of Connecticut is. I'm assuming it's just one. I don't think we have lady very sadly playing song. the violin. Maybe I don't. I don't, yeah. I don't think I have songs out here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a very weird place. Like, who'd have thought that we would go in a short number of years from the proliferation of fake news being a phrase that was said completely erroneously just to put people off the scent of one man's lies to then much of the news being fake and then to mm. just events being fake and not being able to verify what's real and what's not this quickly is something I don't think we could have seen. And I think it's just turned reality on its head so much that I look at people that see the world differently than me and I, I just don't relate in any way anymore, it feels like. Granted, when you meet them in person, people are still a lot more uh, real and a lot more normal, but when we get stuck in our bubbles and in our own echo chambers that are then amplified beyond that echo chamber to the world through social media, it seems like a very scary place. That's where we're in now, right? This is our own bubble and echo chamber. Damn we're straight. Brought echo, to you by Bubbly Water. Echo let's, <laughs> let's make sure we no, just bubble Shu, our ways you, to oblivion. Shu, you've had that opportunity to sort of break through, even with, you know, we've interviewed the, the Trumpsters and the MAGA folks. And they may say some crazy things and have some crazy views, but a lot of them generally are polite and are willing to sort of talk and answer some yeah. questions and sort they've, of. They've and got, so there's still that sort of human connection. There is. They've gotten less polite, and and they <laughs> are they're only polite. And I don't know if I blame them. They're only polite if they don't really know what you're there for. 
Um, and I, th- I think, you know, what, I've covered Republicans for years, and that breed of person is so much different uh, than, than what the MAGA people are like, as you know. So you, mm. you went to Iowa in 2015 and interviewed, you know, uh, evangelical Christians who said, not a chance am I ever going to vote for Donald Trump. And you go back and you see those very same people who are full on MAGA. And yeah, they're decent and nice, and they just think that things, they, they believe that things were better and they they overlooked um, the the flaws, and they got their three Supreme Court justices, which is what they were in for in the beginning. Uh, so you see them in a different light, um, and I, I so. But I think the MAGA people are. Uh, I find them, you know, personally, I find it a little a little sad. I guess is the is the best word because you see people who would otherwise, you know, be fine with you, and they're nice, and you can engage them. And yes, they are. They they also are passionate. But I also see them as victims, and and I think that's what the problem becomes. And so they're in their own, like Ben's saying, their own alternate reality, right? They're in their bubble, uh, but their bubble has grown and given them comfort and a place to go. And I guess that's what bubbles are for. But it also has been really sort of destructive to everybody else's bubble. Yeah, how do we burst that bubble? Because I, I think we need to burst a lot of these bubbles. You know. People still are, like you said, they're decent when you talk to them. You know, I infiltrated QAnon, the the JFK Jr. sect of QAnon that was hanging out at the site of Kennedy's assassination in Dallas and went with hidden cameras and talked to these people who were just so far gone from reality, it was mind boggling. But then I was following these four ladies away from the event and talking with them at length and they started to believe that I was someone who believed in what they were believing and at least interested in it. And I stepped into the street and was so engrossed in the conversation and didn't really notice there were cars coming pretty fast. And the lady instinctively, of course, said, get out of the road, careful, and kind of helped save me from being hit by a car. You know, so I'm full QAnon now. I'm in. Yeah, it worked out for you. It really worked yeah. out. I mean, once they save your life, but seventeen. But these are the ills of social media, though. I mean, like QAnon, fifty years ago, obviously wouldn't have had any breathing room. And and you look at I. I always think about Lyndon Larouche. I don't know if you know who Lyndon Larouche mm, is. He was this guy. Sure. You you I'm sure do shoe. Maybe you do Ben. But he's a guy that that. Unless you're sort of totally a nerd like we are about politics. He ran for president many, many times. He was very, very extreme. Uh, he was doomsday. He was the government's controlling our minds. He was a cult leader, basically. But he had a following. If, if Lyndon LaRouche were alive and, and, and doing his thing in the age of social media, he would have been a far more dangerous person with many more followers. And I think that's sort of what's happened, obviously, with MAGA. I mean, I'm not a genius for thinking that people have said that as well, that if this were at another time, it would have been a fad. And I think there's something, you asked Ben, well, like, when's the bubble going to burst? I think there's something to the, the idea that as soon as the guy is gone, so too will a lot of the momentum. I, I, I feel like there are a lot of people that came to this for the show, and they're going to leave after the show in the in MAGA world. A little like, I, I always say, it's like people who watch golf because of Tiger Woods, I'm one of them. I, I'll watch anytime Tiger Woods is playing golf. I'll never watch Golf, if he's not playing, and I feel like there are a lot of sort of that of, of that ilk of political watcher with Trump. As soon as he's off the stage, they'll you know many of them will be. But gone. I but I think that also depends how soon that happens because I think we still are at a time where there hasn't been a great Trump replacement yet. There hasn't been a great second coming of Trumpism 
but there's a lot of seedlings that have been growing. I mean, you have Kerry Lakes and and you yeah, know, but, but Major League Trader Grinch and and all of these characters that are using his playbook in a major way, and even DeSantis to a large degree, stealing his hand motions with the lies, with the complete twisting of reality, and like how how far are we from that? Just immediately continuing and all of that base once they don't have the option supporting Trump just going to but, the next best thing. Yeah, well, but, but also, I mean, and, and what you say is true, but what I, I think you'd agree with this issue. It's like once there is no more currency in supporting Trump because he is not there, then the next person comes along because you can, yeah. you, there's a freedom to, you know, these people are locked in districts now that have been so gerrymandered that they, their only option is to support Trump even if they don't. And so you, you understand it from the sort of selfish uh, political mind of like, oh, I'm not going to lose my seat because uh, just, just to say that Donald Trump's a bad guy, I'll hang on to it and then he'll be gone at some point. But it's much more, but it's much more, I feel like, endemic than that because it's not just people holding on for their own pure political power, which you would hope wouldn't even be the case because there should be something like maybe not being disloyal to the country that would supersede that. But even people who are not running for anything who don't need that, like Bill Barr, who finally, after being Trump's lackey for so long, finally when he turned on him and, and stood up and testified against him with regards to Jan 6 and now is saying that he's toast of even half of what he's being accused of with these espionage crimes is true, is, is, is toast and he's done for. And the next question is, so who are you going to support in the election? And he goes, Trump. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> he's not even running for anything. How is this? What, what world does that make any sense that's still that Somebody you're literally out loud saying is not a reasonable human being. He's unfit to serve. He's committed crimes against his country, but he's my guy. Well, it's like the Tiger Woods analogy Michael's mentioning, and that is, is if Tiger Woods is in a golf tournament, you're thinking, who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for Tiger Woods, even if the guy's got a broken back and he hasn't broken 80 in several years or whatever it is, just because you've got this sort of he's got this grip on you. And and I just think that maybe Donald Trump is such a charismatic figure. Putting aside his politics and putting aside the lies, he is, I'd say he's perhaps one of the most charismatic political leaders in 30 or 40 years. I mean, it's, you know, it's sort of Reagan-esque in sort of his engagement and his ability to captivate an audience and at least his wit that he used to have and sort of a sense of humor and his self-confidence. And that attracts a lot of people. It's, it's entertaining regardless of whether you agree or disagree. And I think when you combine that with this an unbelievable transformation that is happening in society with technology and with the economy and you know half the jobs are that are disappearing are not coming back or they're coming back with names we don't even have yet because of artificial intelligence and robotics and there's such a huge economic transformation people feel destabilized and when people feel frightened and destabilized and see their towns and communities turned upside down and feel like well the government institutions can't be trusted anymore because look at all these factories that have closed and I'm not getting any help because of this. And then there's COVID and everything is sort of turning upside down for people. And so what do they reach for? They reach for the guy who entertains them, who makes them feel and makes them feel like they can laugh a little bit at the predicament of it all. And then that's how it sort of sort of builds. So I think it's maybe sort of a combination both, you know, yeah, there'll be another charismatic figure at some point, maybe not quite like Trump. But I feel like the, the pressures on society in terms of how quickly our society is transforming and changing and how the ground is literally shaking underneath our feet. I think that fear is gonna be around and perhaps even magnified over the next 10 years. And, and America doesn't have to change like Bill Barr's mind, right? I mean, whatever you think 
of Bill Barr, the guy is obviously spineless. The guy has absolutely no, you know, you talk about the charisma that, that David said Trump has. Bill Barr is the sort of antonym of that. And, and he, right. uh, I think, you know, the, the idea now is that there are enough independents in America and there are enough Democrats in America that Donald Trump can't win the presidency again. So these people will continue to look foolish. Bill Barr is also someone who is reflexively voted for an R his whole life. So the notion that he could possibly pull the lever for someone who isn't the Republican nominee uh, is is absurd. That in and of itself is absurd, right? But I think that a lot of people we love are guilty of that too. So I, I can't just put that on bar. But to say what he says and to then come back with that hypocritical, it just looks like an idiot. So he's one of those people that you just, you know, you can put him in the sad bunch, Ben. Yeah, but a couple of, of, of responses to the last two statements you guys made. Firstly, I don't understand. Well, let me, let me first say, with regards to what you said, Michael, I don't know that I agree that Trump can ever win again because the tides change very quickly these days in American politics. And poll numbers really don't mean that much these days when you see how quickly people shift. And so, you know, we were talking before air, like the possibilities that Biden may not potentially you know, be a viable candidate all the way through through election day. Any misstep like that, and all of a sudden he's the guy on, on the ballot, and he's doesn't seem he seems far less capable mentally than he is now. Or even if you know, God forbid, something you know, if he hopefully is around, even that shifts very quickly. There's uh, there's a real reality in which people say, well, you know, the economy was okay during Trump, and whatever, let's shift our vote back. So I think. That's possible. But also to what you said, David, I just don't understand why when things are, are confusing and scary and people don't have the answers, why they go to the funny guy. I mean, I'm a comedian by trade and I would expect people to go to me for my jokes, for my comedy shows. I would expect people to go to comedians to Trump to go see him play Radio City Music Hall and do one of his rallies where you get to laugh. But to think that person's gonna be the one who can lead you when he's facing so many crimes, so many indictments, so much that just makes him obviously an unstable leader, not to mention just all of the abhorrent policies and lack of humanity and lack of values that so much of the party actually cares for, the man himself, and much of what he stands for is the opposite of that. I just don't understand why a cult of personality wins over. And granted, he's that genius communicator. He really is. You know, he's not an idiot. He's a very stupid person interpersonally. But as a P.T. Barnum figure, as a mass communicator, the man manipulates the media better than practically anyone. You're absolutely right. But I don't understand why that translates into people thinking he's the leader for America, which stands historically for everything, the antithesis of what he stands for. But think about what he stands for, right? I mean, he stands for blowing everything up, blowing up every sort of tradition, every sort of custom, every sort of convention that we have in our society. He wants to blow it all up, drain the swamp times infinity. If you're somebody who feels like I can't trust the government anymore, I can't trust my town, I can't trust my community, I can't trust TV because of the media, I can't trust my schools. If you're if you're that person who sees the ground shaking before you and you don't have anywhere to trust, you will then I think start to associate with somebody who also wants to blow everything up, who's also willing to insult people or say things that are not politically correct. And oh, by the way, he's also funny. And so I think a lot of people relate to Donald Trump simply because 
look, if, 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 you're, if, if, if you've lost faith in the institutions around us, how can you possibly have faith in say the institution of the justice system? Of course you might believe that the fix is in, that Democrats are somehow gonna get Donald Trump, even though the differences are so easily and simply explained. Hillary Clinton, Vice President Pence, Joe Biden, once they discovered their documents, they turned them over. Hillary Clinton deleted some documents related to Chelsea and the wedding, but she actually did turn over emails that had classified stamps on them. Donald Trump, instead of turning over, he just kept hiding. That's a pretty easy distinction, right? I mean, hiding from his own lawyer as opposed to what Clinton and Biden and Pence were doing. But somehow that distinction is lost. And for people who have no faith in any institution around them, they of course are gonna say, yeah, it's the justice system. I cannot trust the justice system, the media, all these sort of people who are bringing these charges and tell me what the facts are because I believe in Donald Trump. It's crazy, but I, I sort of get it. I get that for Trump. 1.0 for 2016. I maybe get it for 2020. I don't understand when you see that he didn't drain the swamp and you saw that he was just more swampy than ever when you said he's gonna bring the best people in and all of them end up being criminals, inept people, but also people who came from those same power structures largely. Why do you still think it when the man talked all this bluster? Mexico's gonna pay for the wall and that doesn't happen. How does that not erode people's confidence in him? And side question to that. Hillary Clinton might have turned over email. Didn't she also destroy her server? Well, I mean, she destroyed something like 30,000 emails and she and her lawyer, Cheryl Mills, who goes all the way back to Whitewater days, which is a whole other story. But supposedly her lawyer, Cheryl Mills and Hillary Clinton separated out the emails that were relevant, that were government emails from the personal emails. And then the broke the server with like hammers and bleach or something, no? Well, not not really. It was not physically broken. Like I don't, I don't, look, I think there were some things that were, you know, somebody may have physically broken. But again, if that was the case, why would Hillary Clinton have turned over emails that had a classified stamp on them? If you're gonna break everything, if you're yeah. gonna destroy, why not destroy everything, right? It just doesn't. And it also, add up. it was the era we learned after Hillary Clinton. It was the era of private servers, people other than people in government other than Hillary Clinton had them. I think Colin Powell, I think Donald Rumsfeld, I think there were people in the the Trump balls on Ivanka to do yeah. the same thing after post Hillary. Right. Yeah. And so, look, I, again, that's the sort of water under the bridge. I do agree with you, Ben, that I, I buy it for for Trump 1.0 and and possibly 2.0, but but I don't see how they're convinced other than the fact that he has changed the rhetoric and he has changed the narrative. And the narrative now is that he was wronged and we were all wronged, everyone who, who, who stuck with us. And because we were wronged by this rigged election, we have to undo it at all costs. And these people mm -hmm. buy into that. So it isn't that they don't see the flaws, they don't take them terribly seriously, which goes back to my thinking, nothing matters. Um, and, and, and it goes to another thing I want to discuss this hour, which is when things do matter. But, but, but that's what happened, I think, with, with Trump is that, that these people are along for the ride now and there's no getting off his ride for that select group. I just think that enough people have jumped off and enough people are not going to jump on at this point. But at what point does the poison become too much to drink? I mean, look at this headline we have here. We showed it in the first hour of the main show today. 12 million Trump supporters think that violence is justified to put Trump back in the White House. So 
He makes up claims that the election is false. Every time he repeats it, to my mind, that is complete treason. It gives comfort to our enemies and weakens our democracy greatly. And now there's people that are willing to violently install a leader forcibly who lost an election and zero well, feature credible evidence yeah. shows otherwise. Well, they tried to do it already. They tried to do it on January 6th. And what does is, what is Donald Trump say? I'm going to pardon the people from January 6th. Which, so which he, is, he says now yeah, again, but, but, he, but another perfect example, he says that. He, he could have done it before he left office. He pretended he was going to do it, then didn't do it. And now it's a campaign trick. Right. He's saying he will do it if he gets reelected. It's just I mean, obviously a lie. They weren't federally indicted and convicted then. So the but pardon, you can still you can, pardon people for- You can, for, pre, you you can, can pre-pardon do it. people. They, they, there were 15 days there. There weren't all the names. There are hundreds of people who have been identified. Um, and, and through both reporting and investigation and the Justice Department. But, but I, I'm, I'm not refuting what you're saying. I'm just not sure that that's the, the strongest example of it. But, but again, just saying that he's going to do that is is allowing 12 million people to say, well, we're going to do that because once he's in, nothing's going to happen to us. I have a political question for both of you, and I think I mentioned it before. There's sort of this fascinating debate in some Alan Eagleton. Circles. I'm just going to answer it first. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm going to say Pat so, Paulson for the okay, win. Yeah. Well, the Democratic National Committee put out you know, word to all the Democrats, don't say anything about Donald Trump. And Joe Biden's not saying anything about Donald Trump. It's sort of the old adage that when somebody's busy shooting themselves in, your, in their foot, you don't get involved. But there is this sort of argument that because of how historic this is, that to have a president who essentially compromised our nuclear secrets by taking them to Mar-a-Lago and our vulnerabilities. And of course, there were Russians and Chinese and North Korean spies who probably were going to Mar-a-Lago anyway, who may have had a look around and now you know maybe they have all this stuff. Because this is so unprecedented, I get the argument now that maybe this is not the time where Democrats should be quiet. That maybe while Donald Trump is down, Democrats ought to be hitting him over the head with a baseball bat to make sure he's dead. And that the Democrats for historic reasons should be on the record throwing everything they have at him and everything they have at any Republican who would defend Donald Trump simply for historic reasons. But also I think these are such unprecedented charges against a former president, against anybody. And how can you be quiet? And so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of get the political strategy, but I also get the moral imperative and, and curious where you both come down. I totally see where you've come to. I think it's ridiculous to not say anything. This is historic. This is epic. This is incredibly damaging to the country if we don't drop the hammer and make sure that he at least, you know, that make sure that Trump politically is dead from this and to let it slide for the story and the word out of everyone's lips to not be espionage act with regards to it. And, and just even saying 37 indictment counts, 37 federal indictments and not saying under the espionage act and not saying this man is a traitor, this man is clearly disloyal is a miscalculation of epic proportions. When are we going to do it? Are we there? You're going to say the same thing when he's found guilty. Now we still don't say it. Don't kick a man when he's down. I mean, the man is literally proven now, finally, with evidence to back it and charges to back it that he is not worthy of his office, not worthy of his freedom. To not hit it is insane. It's even insane to me that the Republican candidates running against him. It seems like the most politically novice move possible to not hit that. They instead stick with their narrative of the weaponization of government. Their, their narrative, DeSantis's narrative should be 
I will fight the weaponization of government where that is the case. That is not the case now having read these 37 charges that the man clearly did everything he could to hide, to obfuscate, to lie, to mislead, to pull the old switcheroo on these documents and weaken this man and build up your own campaign. It seems foolhardy. It seems like very much like Bill Barr saying what he's done is horrible, but I'll still vote for him minus the what he's done is horrible part. They're not even saying that. Right. Well, there's the devil's advocate, of course, is that, well, if the Democrats do say something, then you start to increase the possibility that some people see this as somehow pure politics. Right, because exactly. the Democrats are involved. And so it's it's the Republicans throwing the bait in the water, right? And and saying, oh, they're politicizing, they're politicizing, they're politicizing it. Democrats bite by politicizing it, right? But they're saying uh, it anyway. No, no, but they're, they're saying they're, it anyway. Right, they, they are saying it anyway. And we okay. don't get the so counter this narrative. Is, this isn't. This is the best and most enduring criticism of the Democrats is they don't hit back hard enough. That 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 they don't do this. They hit back hard in two impeachments and one set of indictments in New York. The guy's popularity rose. There doesn't seem to be this groundswell of anger. So if you just let him implode, I see that as at least a, a, a side of the table that can have a conversation. Like I can see hearing that argument and saying, oh, you, you have some points there. It doesn't mean that I buy into it because I don't think that it ever works. But I do see how they would be saying that. The other problem with it uh, that, that is always the problem with that is that everybody knows it's strategy. So it seems inorganic anyway. It seems like your response is to not respond, right. which in of itself is a response because you're organizing to do it. So I, I think then it loses all of its uh, you know, effect. I don't think it can ever happen because uh, it's always going to be organized. Talking points are talking points. Not talking points are not talking points also. So I, or are talking points also, if that makes any sense. So when you have talking points, you tell what your minions should say, all the senators and members of Congress and spokespeople. People, those are called talking points. They're out there saying them. If all of your spokespeople and everybody's saying to go out there, or the the, the party elders saying don't say anything, that becomes a talking point. It's a no-win situation. But the only way to win is to hit back hard, to talk about the unprecedented nature of this, and let people know that you want to fight it. So I, I'm I'm with that. I don't think right. this is a time to lay down your arms in this case. Yeah, I, I believe the most recent CBS Ipsos poll that just came out: 76% of Republicans see this as politically motivated. Right. You already have a percentage like that. You don't benefit anything by not hitting but back. But you're not changing Republican minds. And I think that's what's really important to look at here, right? So if you're trying to keep Democrats, you're trying to keep independents who are sick of the whole charade. Like I said, I understand why there would be smart people who would say, let's just keep quiet on this. It does make some sense. I disagree with it, but it does make some sense that they would say that because we're not trying to alienate the people we already have. We're not going to get those people to begin with. Speaking of, I think yeah. speaking of the CBS poll, I think I saw something like 38% of Republicans believe that if Donald Trump, in fact, took nuclear secrets with him to Mar-a-Lago, 38% of Republicans say that he endangered US national security. Now, I, I wish that number were higher, but that's still a significant number of Republicans. And yeah. it just seems to me if you have that many Republicans who are criticizing, and if you have you know the Jonathan Turleys and the McCarthy's and all the sort of the Republican legal legal eagles, even Bill Barr saying that if half is true, then he's toast. If they can say that, 
it just seems like Democrats just should open fire. But I mean, you're going to be accused but, of playing but, politics anyway. But shoot, your argument and, and citing the 38% means it's kind of happening already without yep. without them jumping in and getting into the fray. Yeah, except right? for this. If we can pull up this headline, please. Despite the amount of people that say he might have jeopardized nuclear, he might jeopardize uh, government secrets by doing that. 80% of likely GOP voters think Trump should still be able to be president if convicted. So there might be a percentage that think what he did was terrible, yeah, but, they but they still, still think Bill Barrett, and they yeah. think he should still well, be I mean, president. Yeah, he shows a strong leader to be able to go against the Constitution and the people of this country. I like a guy that goes against the grain, kind of rubs it the wrong way. Right. I, on the other everybody side, should have our nuclear secrets. Give our nuclear right, secrets just to give everybody. Them give them away. Absolutely. This, Everything this, must this go. This is the tribalism, though. There, there, about two or three weeks ago, I don't know what organization did it, but there was a focus group, which you guys may have seen, which which had, I think it was about 35 or 40, let's say, in that number of people. Democrats who don't like Joe Biden, who thinks he's been a bad president, who thinks that he hasn't done what he's promised, that he hasn't shown leadership, was bad in Afghanistan, all the things that you can criticize about Joe Biden, and that he's too old to be president, right? He's too old to be running, and they wish somebody else was running. And, and, and what they did at the end of that is they asked each of them, if it were Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, who would you vote for? Every single one of them, unanimous, said Joe Biden. So it, it, this tribalism already exists. The, the most compelling number, the 38% of Republicans, 38 is a big number of, of, for leaving the fold. 38% uh, of them are saying that you know, they, they think that he shouldn't uh, you know, be, be, or they wouldn't support him if that was what was at, at, at stake. But I don't think those are comparable tribalisms because to compare somebody who's too old and would not be a great candidate, I 100% agree with that. No, but there's that, that nothing was just that one. That was at one hour. In other words, these people were reading, and it's unfair of me to talk about it with, with great specificity. These were people, Democrats, who did not like Joe Biden for various reasons and did not want him to be president. But none of it's yeah. moral. None of it is the man goes against the Constitution. No, no, the man is committing high not, crimes but, but, and misdemeanors against the against still, the country. I, right, and you shouldn't want a Democrat is not going to want Donald Trump. I mean, the, the question that should have been asked is if it were uh, you know um, versus uh, any other Asa, Democrat, Asa Hutchinson versus Joe Biden, uh, who would you vote for there? And maybe some or another Democrat versus or, Joe Biden. Well, the number another would Democrat. Be huge. No, another Democrat. It would have been unanimous against Biden. Right. 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 So, but that that's not what the thrust was. The thrust was even though you, you don't think Joe Biden is is your man, uh, would you vote for him against Trump? And all of them did, not not just uh, not just uh, thirty three of them. Can I throw one thing in there about the uh, the indictment? Um, and I just I, I I gotta say this, and you know we, we talked about artificial intelligence, and at least the the, the real indictment that I've read, <laughs> and Lord knows how long that's gonna last. But the the real indictment, one of the things that I loved about it is. All of the evidence in this indictment, all of it comes from either Donald Trump or Donald Trump's lawyers or his own staffers. There's not a single what you would call an adversarial witness. There's not a single Democrat that is a witness against Donald Trump. And in, in, in my mind, that's sort of brilliant by the prosecution because that sort of sucks the wind out of this idea that all oh, this is a Democratic conspiracy when no, everybody involved in this is tied to Donald Trump, including Donald Trump himself. And the other thing that I love is, all of the charges are related to actions Donald Trump took after the grand jury 
started making its requests. In other words, when Donald Trump continued to hide documents, continued to keep things at Mar-a-Lago after they had been requested, then those were documents that he did end up getting charged for under the Espionage Act. But again, it gets to this idea that if Donald Trump would have just you know, turned over the stuff the first time the grand jury asked, he had multiple opportunities to do so, he might not have been charged. And I, and I like that. That, that, that's how I think makes the indictment so sort of airtight. And for all of these arguments that the, the bag of faithful are gonna have about you know Mike Pence and Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, even this Trump appointed judge is not gonna allow a referendum on Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden in this trial. And, and I think it's gonna have to be, I think it's gonna be, to me, this is like one of the most airtight indictments I've, I've ever seen. But I just, I love the way that the prosecutor put it all on Donald Trump and his cronies without having to rely on a single Democrat. It also speaks to the incredibly deep rooted insecurity of the man to have already been president and still need to impress people with the stuff you got. To have to be a former president, still be able to say, I got a document right here that I can't really tell you because it's still classified. But why don't you take a quick look yeah, at wave it? Wave it around. Wave it around. Is You're already the former president. You're not going to believe it. I met the president <laughs> last night and he had a document that <laughs> right. only the president could have. Right. It's like at and that you point. You think that was it? You think it was just sort of hubris and him wanting a trophy? Or do you sort of go into the more nefarious that maybe this was a business plan of his to sort of make some money on this well, stuff? I, or maybe I, even I more nefarious. Know. You can assume that. He that. was some sort of Russian asset who was told by the Russians, hey, Take a bunch of stuff to Mar-a-Lago when you leave the White House, and we'll take care of it from there. Yeah, the Russian asshat, you said? Yep. Right, you can't prove intent, but we all can believe what he wanted to do with it. But there's enough there, that we didn't even know what to, we didn't need the intent, right? You needed the fact that he had this stuff, that he lied about it, that he, he, he obstructed justice, and that was enough. You know, and going to what you were saying about the, you know, the not having a Democrat, having this, all these Republicans, all of these people in Trump world who really created this, that is so important. It was important in January 6th and the January 6th committee hearings too. It didn't really seem to impact, although there, there may be more to that story soon. But it, it, it just, it's such an important part of this. this. This just speaks to how it isn't just a partisan wish hunt, which is why I think part of the, the group think of, of some Democrats to not talk about it is let the Republicans bury this guy. Let the other team bury it so it isn't that way. Again, I don't agree with that plan and that strategy, but I do see why people would, would be supporting. Let's see what that Trump judge comes up with. But shifting back for a minute to the grander existential question of reality and our existence moving forward. Are you guys concerned at all about AI, because I believe it's so urgent that we need to have global agreements to shut down development of things that could, oh, I don't know, literally pose an existential risk to, to could, could cause the extinction of humanity. And people don't seem to take it seriously. I mean, Schuster, at the top of this hour, you literally said it's real cool because you can make fake Britney Spears sing about Indiana. <laughs> And it seems like we could probably trade that in to save people. I'm very curious why we're not taking well, this next level serious. Well, and the, the flip side is you could also have Britney Spears engineer nuclear annihilation the way artificial intelligence is going. Or you Oops, have, you know, I did it again. <laughs> or you could have, have AI eventually become the voice of any 
commander in chief or general and give commands that people suspect is the real thing to go ahead and attack Russia and have a nuclear exchange when it's all AI driven. You and could so, probably even yeah, make I'm, Donald I'm, Trump's I'm, voice do that, like be the commander in chief. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I share your sort of fear, Ben, and I, I, you know, I think it's come up very sort of quickly and and. The, I, I sort of come down on the idea that yeah, this could be a human being extinction event if we're not careful the next you know thirty or forty years. Thirty or forty what, years. What do we do about it? In the I don't next know. three or four months. I mean, this technology exponentially grows. It's literally three or four months. I mean, the cat's already out of the bag and arguably too late already. And I find the 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 insanity of it beyond belief that like Elon Musk signs onto the letter saying we should pause this when he's the one that kind of created it in the first place and then is now acting innocent. But it's 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 a matter of months. I mean, already in the initial rollout of this stuff, you can fake voices, you can fake video, you can have. There was already a, a fake explosion at the Pentagon that caused the stock markets to plummet. Like day one of this stuff. Well, you saw what Victor Frankenstein did with the monster, right? He said, you know, <laughs> let's put it back in the box. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here with Elon. It's like, oh, careful, yeah. we, we built this <laughs> but Peter Boyle. This needs to be our biggest, our biggest thing because there already is no way for us to have a common sense of truth just with statements that are against truth. When you actually have videographic and photographic evidence, we are in a very dire place. It's dire, but I, I, I hope that we can also be driven in part by the potential. And when I think of sort of potential of AI, I imagine, you know, 30 years from now when I don't even, if I'm still alive and I don't even know what planet I'm on and there's a shortages of human being nursing, nursing staff and doctors that maybe there's gonna be some sort of AI being who's gonna be at my bedside taking my temperature and changing my bedpans and, and giving me all the sort of feedback and helping me manage my health. That would be wonderful if AI has that capability and it looks like it will. The question is, can we isolate and identify the really positive things that AI can do in terms of taking care of people and educating people and providing companionship for some people and whatever it is, people who are lonely and, and maybe even AI can help us solve things like you know global hunger and poverty. Can we focus on that, but also find a way to contain the worst impulses of humanity. I mean, I think the AI. internet, and it, I'm not sure the I'm internet sure is proof that. that we can't do that. I mean, the internet yeah, right, is living right. proof that it's impossible. And to also, do. and I don't think there. I mean, would you want? Would you love a pre-internet uh, time? Would you go yes, back? Yes, I would absolutely. I would. would you should absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes Elsa, what do you have against I, I human like nurses, Schuster? Human nurses yes can no. clean your yes bedpan. You want your bedpan cleaned, and then let humanity be damned. Think about it, before the internet, before the internet, we couldn't have had this kind of conversation. We couldn't have looked up the polls. We couldn't have looked up the news as fast as we were able to do. That's fine, but in that's a half fine. Hour, you know, but we were, we were getting our, that our information get from- information is so fast we were, and so quick. We were getting that information from reliable edited sources too. If we were getting it an hour later or a day later, sources. it's fine, vetted sources, right? So. You know, and I could live not knowing, you know, if you know the Rangers, you know, what the final score of the Rangers game was before I went to. Yeah, bed. All it does is create spoilers yeah. earlier than you want to.